Welcome to The Conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Curtis. This is show number 74, interview on the Greg Knapp Experience, 18 November 2008. This interview from the Radio America show, The Greg Knapp Experience, focused on a TSA behavior detection program that singles out passengers for what the TSA describes as suspicious behavior. Since the program began in 2006, over 160,000 passengers were pulled aside for additional checks such as a pat-down search or an interview. Less than 1% of those passengers were arrested, often on charges related to drugs or carrying false identification. The TSA didn't mention whether any of those searched or arrested were on any kind of terror watch list or intended to commit a terrorist act. On November 18, 2008, I discussed some of the issues surrounding this program with Greg Knapp on the Greg Knapp Experience Show. 35 after, we're bringing in Dr. Todd Curtis to tell you a little bit about flying the friendly skies. You see, you know how the TSA keeps pulling people out of the line because of their behavioral practices to see if they may be bad flyers? Well, only about 1% of those people taken out of the line are ever really even arrested. So do we need to switch the system? See, they have behavior detection officers now in 150 airports. There's about 2,400 of these people. They're going to increase them by about 1,000. And they look at your behavior. And if they think that you fit a certain class of behavior, they'll pull you aside and interview you even more, and you may end up getting arrested. But critics are saying this program isn't working very well because less than 1% of the airline passengers who have been singled out under the program for suspicious behavior have been arrested, less than 1%. So they're saying... Does that justify the other 99% who have been inconvenienced? Well, I'm bringing in noted aviation safety expert, Dr. Todd Curtis. He is the founder and publisher of airsafe.com, and he's also author of the book Understanding Aviation Safety Data. He's joining me now on the Greg Knapp Experience, Dr. Todd Curtis. Doctor, how are you? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate the time. I wanted to have you on because, you know, you've, you've got people on both sides of this issue. The, the privacy people are saying too much of our privacy is being violated for too little success. The TSA is saying, hey, we feel this has been effective. We've arrested 1,266 people, some of them with fake ID. We don't know what they may have been planning to do with fake ID on an airline, and uh, we think we need to continue the program. What, what do you see in looking at this? Well, on the one hand, it's kind of hard to figure out if this is a good program because although the statistics, I'm assuming they're absolutely true, we really don't have much to compare it to. It's not like the situation with aircraft incidents and accidents. All that data is out there in the open. Anyone can look at the data and make fair comparisons. The security side of the house is a little bit more apprehensive about releasing data, so we really can't judge it that well. Good point. And then there's the other part of, you know, TSA and Homeland Security really don't want to tell you if any of these 1,266 arrests were terrorists. Absolutely. And if it were terrorists, and absolutely it's a great program, and I want them off the airplanes. But if the implication is most of these people are uh, drug mules or drug users or people who have fake IDs for work-related purposes, and that there are no or very, very few of these uh, terrorist suspects there, I'd like to know. Yeah, and it's tough. It's tough because, as you mentioned, uh, they don't want to share the data because they're afraid that they're going to help the terrorists find ways around it. And and I understand that, and I'm sure you do too. But it makes it very difficult to uh, allow the public to see if this program is justified or not. I, I know that you've been looking at what they're doing here with this behavioral technique. Um, from just from your information on it, do you think that 
uh, behavioral techniques do work in picking out people who may be plotting to do something illegal, or is it just as likely to get somebody who's nervous because they're about to miss their plane? Well, again, getting back to my earlier point, it's very hard to tell what's really going on with this program because we don't have that data. But common sense would show that there's some people out there who are nervous flyers just because they're novice flyers, just because they have a fear of flying. And there could be any number of reasons that a person can be acting out of sorts. And in my opinion, partly professional, partly personal. If you have someone who's really, really dedicated at uh, doing something evil, perhaps they'll have a very cool head about them. That's a good point. Sometimes when, when you have uh, trained for something and you know that you're going to do it, you, you don't look that nervous. You know, it's interesting, though, Dr. Curtis. I flew out to Israel uh, last year on LL Airlines, and they have a very sophisticated behavioral detection system that they do. And they pull you, you know, you have to get there early, and they do an interview process with you, and they ask you a bunch of different questions. And then based on how you respond to those questions, they might pass you off to another interviewer and so on until they decide whether you can get on the plane or not. And they've never had a terrorist attack, and, you know, obviously terrorists would like to attack LLR Airlines, but it starts to make you think that there must be something there. Well, there's always a balanced situation here because clearly the Israelis have a level of security, a system that's second to none. Unfortunately, if you look at something like the United States where literally half of all of the airline flights, the jet airline flights in the world, happen in the U.S., if you were to scale up the Israeli system to the United States, you would have not three or 4,000 people in TSA, but maybe 10 or 20 times that many. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I wouldn't want to go through that process every time I got on a plane to go, you know, on a two-hour flight. Uh, I'm with you 100%. And that's the balance, isn't it, is how much convenience are we willing to give up in order to try and catch the terrorists? And then the second question is, is what we're doing working, and and is it worth it? And, Dr. Curtis, what do you think about the procedures we have right now of – taking out anything that's less, you know, you can't have more than three ounces of liquid, you're taking your shoes off, you're taking the laptop out, you're taking your belt off to put it in, all the stuff that we're doing right now since 9-11, do you believe that is that is helping or is it really just an inconvenience and the terrorists are looking for ways around that anyway? Well, at first it was clearly helping because if the terrorists thought, well, gosh, we can use these liquid explosives, very soon after the first case happened in England, the rules changed worldwide. So those people who are thinking of doing that are going to change their strategy. If nothing right. else, by the way, you can bring in larger than three-ounce bottles of liquid if it's for medical purposes. So again, it doesn't take a genius to figure out a way around this problem. But more generally, there is no one technique that's going to be perfect. But what we have here is a network of techniques, layers of techniques and procedures, which collectively have prevented anything from happening since 9-11. Yeah, there's no doubt that uh, you can't argue with that success, and I, I can't imagine it's from lack of trying. I mean, I, I, I know that this is obviously just your opinion, Dr. Curtis, uh, and we're talking to noted aviation safety expert Dr. Tart Curtis, airsafe.com. We're talking about this TSA behavioral program and whether it works. And once again, I, I know there's not a, uh, any data that we can go on on this, but uh, from, from your study of aviation security, do you think that the terrorists just decided after 9-11 – uh, hey, we're not going to try and hit American Airlines anymore? I mean, not not that, you know, I mean, uh, uh, the airlines in America anymore, or is it because of what we've done? I don't think it's safe to assume that they don't look at airlines as a big, juicy target, because frankly, when it comes to a target that you can hit in the United States that's not heavily defended, 
but that would have a huge effect as far as media attention. Aviation is second to none. And the techniques that were used a few years ago obviously aren't going to be working right now. If nothing else, the average passenger, if they see something crazy going on in the airplane, is likely to jump up and do something about it, whereas before 9-11, that wasn't the case. So the job is a whole lot harder for someone who's on the airplane, but it doesn't mean they're going to stop trying. Good stuff. Hey, we appreciate the time. It's Dr. Dodd Curtis, and you can get his book, Understanding Aviation Safety Data. Uh, you can go to airsafe.com and uh, also, of course, uh, amazon.com. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you again. For more information about what passengers can do to deal with TSA security issues, please visit tsa.airsafe.org. There you'll find a number of resources, including extensive information on current TSA rules, advice on packing, advice on traveling with duty-free items such as alcohol and perfume, and links to airline complaint resources. That address once again is tsa.airsafe.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.